0: Welcome to the Community Development Podcast, a podcast dedicated to community development practice and approaches, sharing our learning and connecting the workforce. My name is Russell. So it's welcome to episode 37 of the Community Development Podcast. It's a glorious afternoon spring afternoon uh, for myself in Cardiff in South Wales in the UK and I have the very great pleasure for the first time hopefully you know not the only time but the first time on the podcast to date in East London it's Peru Mia how are you Peru
1: yeah I'm fine thanks thanks Russell for uh, having me on this uh, glorious weather here in the east, east end of London as well oh, this, weather's, uh, this
0: weather's catching then
1: definitely makes a change from the <laughs> rainy weekend
0: yeah we sure we're going to be talking about organising both in a community setting, mm-hmm. but also within a trade union setting. Before we get stuck into that, quick plug for the last episode, episode thirty-six, which is with uh, Jess Gitcham from Bristol Energy Cooperative, discussing all things to do with um, energy cooperativism generally. Specifically, that cooperative as well covers uh, quite a wide area in the southwest of England, not just uh, Bristol. That episode sat around in an unedited style for a while, uh, so apologies to Jess for that but I I finally pulled my finger out a really fascinating listen if you're into you know not just renewables but a more kind of bottom-up approach to renewables we hear a lot about governments should be doing more of with respect to the green energy sector and renewable energies but there's also stuff that can be done from the grassroots from the bottom up as well and and Jess gives a terrific insight into that in her experience Uh, and before that uh, a short oral essay by myself around one of my sort of heroes if you like and and, and main sort of influences and intellects uh, Raymond Williams the late Raymond Williams and about where he would have had his own podcast. Peru, tell us a bit more about yourself.
1: Yeah, um hi. Um yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting uh background. Um so I'm currently I'm a, a trade union organiser uh, for the Royal College of uh, Nursing. So we've been on the news for the past year or so. So I think it's the largest industrial action since the miners' strike um so i've been involved with them but before that i was a a councillor um a local uh, labour councillor for east london tower hamlets that's always been on the news and and before that i was a community uh, organiser so i've kind of like done the full gamut of community organising political organising and now workplace organising and you know there are certain central themes throughout that but it's interesting uh, each each uh, scene, each so sort of like place has its own context as well. So it's interesting just mm-hmm. finding what tools of community organising or organising works, and what needs to be adjusted in those different contexts.
0: And is that something you set out to do, or was it something you fell into? Or? It's,
1: it's it it's it's totally it's totally accidental, um, and it's 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 probably. Um, I think I think with all all organising, it's, it's accidental, um, and just just reflecting on it, probably because uh, of the background. I came from I came from a working class background, so I wasn't born in London. I was born in Bedford, um, which is a small industrial town in the middle of in middle of East Anglia, which is famous for its brickworks. So my father worked in the brickworks. So working, growing up. In a in declining industrial town, um, you understand what power is because you don't have power. Um, um, so there's, there's an old Arabic saying: "Things are known by their opposite." So to understand power, is if if you grow up without power, then you understand it in all its form. And being from marginalised communities, uh, you have to negotiate those structures to get things done if yeah. you know what mean. Yeah. um and so so it, it's, it's it's i think it's part and parcel of growing up from a working class background um and then uh, and uh, so certain things come naturally just just from growing up and and i think just applying that in new settings it's, it just was a natural thing um and uh, i just you know it just fell in so community organizing got involved again it was accidental because it it actually citizens uk who pioneered it their main base was in east london uh, tower hamlets um uh, gentleman neil jameson who's recently passed away uh he went to chicago um so like got the ideas of Saul Alinsky, and applied it in a community setting and you had uh, citizens uk which is now a successful organisation throughout the country and I did their residential course um, as well um, and was involved in community organising and then 2015 happened, uh, Jeremy Corbyn happened, (laughs) went into the Labour Party uh, as part of that wave and again applying those skills in a new context of organising within the Labour Party and organising as a councillor, running for election and then basically using those skills to organise my residence to get things uh, happening, get things done. And now, sort of like post, after standing down in 2022, um, using those same skills in a workplace setting, um, uh, which is uh, organising uh, workers in the NHS to basically find their voice and get a better deal from the employers. And, and the same thing, the same principles of mapping up their workplace Finding out who the natural leaders are in any sort of like department, etc., getting them on board, and then then mobilizing for pickets, for strikes, and for ballots. So it's 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 those kind of principles of it's using relationships to build a ma- critical mass to towards an action to improve improve uh, the situation, so to speak. Yeah
0: initially um, you mentioned the miners' strike, and I think probably for me, that was my possibly the earliest point that I can remember. You know, anybody in my family, I'd, I'd have been, I'd have been a child at the time, but I, I do remember it being on TV. And although I'm from South Wales, not from a coalfield mind, I think the fact that my one grandfather was a building, a bit uh, was a labourer. Uh, you know, my other grandfather was a farmer. So again, that connection to the land, and I was aware of the, I suppose, the solidarities, at least in terms of. Principle, I, I don't recall my parents ever being on picket lines or anything like that. But I do remember there being expressions of solidarity in in our home. So that was probably my my kind of entry point. So it's interesting, kind of like how how some of this is inherited a little bit um, from, um, from 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 family and, and and the household and the family environment, things like that. But you mentioned it was sort of community organising in terms of organising um, both as a as a beforehand, groups of people, many of whom will have you know common shared interests but not necessarily you know identical experiences of of life of the issue perhaps that is being campaigning around or organizing around to what extent the trade union where you obviously have a much more defined membership is it also about building those alliances outside of um the you know the specific union that you're part of
1: and um, it, it is a discussion we've had um in in one place there we've had discussions of having a community assembly um, because it's a small island um so it's a set geographic area so we mm. instead of having, as long as well as having the traditional pickets, is something called a parallel action, of having a community assembly. Get all the stakeholders in the community, um, and just to explain the issues through testimonies, testimonials, etc., and to have the entire community um, with us. But it, it is it is very difficult in a workplace setting because you have. Quite a lot of legal restrictions, which you wouldn't have if you were community organizing. If you were organizing, say, a protest or a demo, we, in regards to sort of like industrial pickets, it's very very restrictive. We have one of the most restrictive uh, labor mm-hmm. laws, uh, I think, in the world, apart from America, and I think it's going to get even more restricted. So it's it's just navigating those uh, uh, restrictions, but also navigating those kind of uh, mental blocks as well. So when we're working, um, we tend to work in silos. Um, we don't see that we're connected, etc. and getting people to start thinking about how their workplace is connected to the local community, etc. cetera, um, and, and start building those links. And you see that in the pickets. You know, when we were running the pickets, you, you saw local shopkeepers come up with food, with items, um, uh, a pizza shop across the road, deliver pizzas for the nurses. Uh, and then you see sort of like local residents uh, coming up to just show solidarity. Um, but it is it, it's, it's slowly, slowly building those links because what you go in a workplace setting is A, people are just understanding that, finding their voice, understanding that it's a powerful voice. And then in, and then finding that they're not alone that there's alliances etc and it's it's just taking people on a journey so to speak and meeting people where they are and i think that's the role of an organizer is you go in you do an assessment to understand where people are because each workplace is different each department is different and and take them along a journey so to speak and at the end of that journey you make yourself redundant as an organizer because uh, the goal is that the workers in any um, employment setting they self organise at the end of it so mm. it's a sustainable action so kind of like the role of an organiser a successful organiser is to organise themselves out of that role and it's, it's kind of um, that's what I said to my residents uh, when I first got elected as a councillor my goal is to make my role redundant as, a, as your locally elected councillor to empower you, so you don't need a counselor to get things done, you know what you want to do. And they were looking at me quite shocked. And I go, that's, that's my purpose. Mm. Um, is, and, and, and I think that's the role of a good organizer is to create sustainable solutions, you have to empower the communities or the uh, groups of individuals you're working with, so they self organize. And, and, yeah. and, 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 and that's, that's what your goal should be ultimately.
0: And I think anyone listening to this with a you know with a background in community work uh, or of, of any sort really will will be familiar with that phrasing you know, of doing doing yourself doing oneself out of a out of a job so so to speak. I mean, do you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, I enjoy it. It's 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 really just reflecting back. Um, each campaign is different. Each setting is different. Each yeah. action is different. And it's just meeting different people with different backgrounds and just getting that result. You know, um, people people don't realize how powerful they are, um, and I think it is to do with the conditioning. like everything that everything in society is uh, telling us that we don't have any power. Oh, it's, it resides with these officials or institutions, etc. But when people do organize, they realize how powerful they are, and they see these officials and institutions cowering and it's just to see that transformation is one of the best feeling and experience and memory to have and and it's fun as well yeah, enjoy it and i've I've done loads of fun things from uh, banner drops in the brick lane uh to marches to direct act well not die i wouldn't say direct action but some people <laughs> interpret it as direct action but um it's it's fun and, and that's what it is uh it's enjoyable and I do recommend it. And I think the I think the main thing is it's just um it's just meeting different people. You know, it's just um we have that shared humanity and just making those connections and knowing that together we're much stronger. Yeah, I mean you
0: mentioned Sololinsky, and of course one of his rules for radicals is is a good tactic being one that the people enjoy and and, and it, it, and I suppose in my, in my experience, sometimes there's a balance that needs to, to be struck because we don't want to make light of or be seen to be, I don't know, frivolous in some way of, of the issues at, at hand. But unless it's fun, it can become pretty difficult, pretty boring, perhaps.
1: Uh, it is striking that balance, but also whoever you're having the confrontation with the decision maker, getting them to realise how ridiculous the situation is as well and getting mm. them to have a smirk and a smile. And then you've actually touched, uh, you've actually reached out to them in a way when they go, this is ridiculous, this can't go on. We need to get a solution to this. And it's just finding uh, that uh, balance. But but I'm glad you mentioned Saul Alinsky because one thing I've realized uh, organizing in different contexts is that there isn't a one size fit all into the community organizing. So Saul Alinsky would be a good guide to what they call small organising, uh, what we call community organising. But if you're going on a massive scale, say say a regional campaign that I'm doing with the Royal College of Nursing or national campaign, um, which I've done in terms of uh, Uh, political campaigning there's something called big organizing as well and i do really recommend people looking into that and there there is a book called rules for the revolution uh uh, by becky bond um i do do recommend it so it's to do with scales so each situation is different and as an organizer you've got to go okay what is this situation and what model or what tactics would fit so it's not a be all and it's not one size fit all and i think the criticism that I would have in terms of Citizens UK, and I did have sort of like frank conversation with Neil, is that it, the way it's taught, and I, I think the way sometimes it's taught is these are the set rules. You have to do this, 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 instead of saying, look, these are broad principles, broad tactics, and you need to make an assessment as to what works and what doesn't and slightly adjust it. Um, so so I w- So you've got Saul Alinsky for small organising, uh, you've got uh, sort of like uh, Becky Bond for what they call Big Organising. And then in terms of workplace organising, there's a lady called Jane McAlevey. Um, it's called Organising. Um, it, it's No Shortcuts, that's her book, which is about workplace organising, which which has slightly different, you know, different uh, issues as well. Um, so so that's that's bit, bit of the theory side, if you know what I mean, Russell there. So my, my thing is, it's not a one size fit all. And as an organiser, we need to have loads of tools, and loads of tactics, and loads of case studies. And then you we quickly have to do an assessment as to which one's appropriate. And then in the middle of an action, say, if something's not working, quickly adapt and try something else.
0: Yeah, no, I think those are helpful references. Um, I know as well, uh, and I'm trying to find it as I'm, uh, as I'm, as I'm talking to you, uh, it's in one of the numerous bookmarks I've got, um, the Extinction Rebellion movement um, and how they um, are organising at that big scale, I guess, um, but also their importance on, you know, the relational within that as well. And I think that sometimes is, can be difficult to scale up, um, so to scale up. Um, is when there's people maybe involved in across, you know, maybe wide, you know, wide territorial basis or maybe in a much more populous basis. And one of the things the Caroline uh, Pachell was was talking about when uh, I hosted a talk with her as part of uh, Social Capital Week a couple of years ago with a with a social enterprise hat on, grow social capital, was the sort of saying taking stock at every com- coming together. Which at, at, at that point where we were talking, it was online because of because of COVID, of course. But it applied across the piece, um, you know, more generally in in, in sort of non COVID times, as it were, the importance of just taking stock. Okay, wh- how are people feeling? Where are they at? Because that's also contextual, can be situational, it yeah. can change. People's energies, people's confidences uh, can, can ebb and flow during these, these campaigns and these processes of organising.
1: It's something that we call structure tests. So it's something in a workplace organising. It's called structure tests. So when I, whenever I'm um, organising in a certain workplace, I'm constantly doing these structure tests. Sometimes that people realise. Just to assess where people are at whether something's working or not. Um, so, so just to give an example, a crude example of a structure test is, for example, just to work out um, sort like people's organizing capability, or do I give this person, does this person, can this person take a more responsibility? You say, okay, let's see how many people we could get at the picket, so to speak. And, and you've got, say, a group of 10 activists say, look, how many people can you bring in? And they will say, okay, I could bring in these numbers. And then on the day of the action, you see how many numbers they, they bring in. And from that you, you, you know, you kind of like, and then compare it to the work. Are we, uh, and, and from that, you just do an assessment as to sort of like where people are at in that group, if you know what I mean, um, and where some people would need support, whereas other people would need uh, bigger targets. Um, and it's something that I, I encourage is you constantly have to do this structure test in terms of your campaigns, in, in terms of the people involved, just constant assessment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so like community organizing, it's not like dri- riding a, driving a car, it's more like riding an aeroplane um, where you've got so many crosswinds and factors and, and you're constantly adjusting the speed and direction just to get from A to B. Um, uh, uh, and no campaign is exactly the same.
0: Yeah, that's a, a key point to, um, to, to, to to make. I mean, in terms of the community organising, I think, again, we're talking about, you, know, you, t- you mentioned how context is important. Give a couple of flavours of some of the things that uh, you've been involved in then, as, whether that's as, as a, as a councillor or not as a councillor, but in that community setting.
1: I'll give you the references because they've been, they've been covered by the press. Um, so uh for example I, I was involved in something called the Save Brick Lane campaign which is to stop so Brick Lane is a famous um uh, street in East London that uh, is that uh is famous for it it's famous for uh, for like um migrant communities etc. So at the moment it's it's mainly got a lot of Indian restaurants there. You've got, so like, a big corporate development where they want to build a shopping centre. So we were successful in uh, putting together a wide range of uh, uh, residents of all demographics, from say, multi-millionaires to council house tenants, to oppose that uh, development. And we got the victory in the sense that the local council has intervened to do a master plan for the area with housing on that site. So it's not all sort of like glass offices, etc., And the kind of actions we did in that campaign to get from A to B, we did banner drops in the middle of the night where we just dropped banners from the railway bridge or across the street saying, you know, stop the shopping mall, uh, Save Brick Lane, Um, to marches, um, we've done marches. We we did a coffin procession as well. So just using visuals. So we did a silence march. Uh, just before uh, just before a major decision uh, where we basically carried an empty coffin uh, silently just to emphasise what this actual decision meant. So that's sort of like the Save Brick Lane campaign um, uh, and that's been covered quite widely in the press. The other campaign I was involved in, it's a bit controversial, it's a low-traffic neighbourhood, so I sort of like came out against low traffic neighbourhood in terms of the way they were implemented, uh, without consultation, um, without proper thought. And again, putting a coalition together where different groups didn't speak to each other, getting them in the room, getting to come out, work together, uh, agree on um, sort of like common negotiation points, etc., and then mobilise to take their views uh, to the council in terms of petitions in terms of presentations to the council and eventually getting the scheme stopped and, and some of it rolled back. So th- those are the two sort of like big campaigns uh, that have been covered quite widely by the press and then obviously as a council you do these small campaigns like getting uh, sort of like helping uh, shops uh, preserve their parking spaces or delivery spaces mobilising shopkeepers getting them to uh, do a petition to getting trees on the street uh, so i got this resident um, we did, We walked around we did a video um, he c- collected signatures saying we need more trees on our streets he did his own presentation and presented why we needed more streets on local streets and lo and behold they, a few months ago those trees were planted on those streets um, so it, it's, it just gives you the kind of flavour um,
0: yeah yeah and it's important as well to point out i think on 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 you know, in these sorts of conversations that you know organizing can be for things as well as against things yeah <laughs> um i think sometimes there can be a perception that it's a an, it's a purely oppositional thing it's against something uh, or indeed many things that's not always the way
1: I, I always tell residents i go look you need to have an alternative it just can't be no so even with the mm-hmm. low traffic neighborhood i go look you need to come up with your own solutions and to give the residents their credit they did come up with their own solution they came up with their own plans they came up with their own technical solution to reduce traffic so it's not so with any uh, so like uh, ask it's not no but there is a viable alternative and you point to and mm. and that's that's when you have much more credibility with decision makers and and that's when you can critique the original decision um and i always tell whenever i am contacted by groups of residents, uh, or, or interested parties. I've got to, you need to come up with an alternative. It just can't be, no, it, it just can't be not in my backyard. Yeah. But that, that's what you'd be seen as.
0: Yeah, which is something that um, I'm hearing myself say um, in relation to a a couple of um, planning related issues that that I'm involved in in my community in Cardiff. And uh, I shared shared some of those with you when we were chatting the other week just by way of preparation. So uh, you you mentioned some of the the campaigns you've been involved in. We can drop some details of those into the show notes as well as some of those other um, uh, texts and, 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 and writers that you mentioned. I mean, have there been any influences, perhaps a little bit sort of closer to home? Then
1: I, I think the main influence for me is a gentleman called uh, Phil Prattin. So he was the so like the last uh, um, um, communist MP in Britain. Um, so he he grew up in the East End. Um, he wrote he wrote an autobiography called "Our Flag Is Red." Uh, he grew up in the East End. Um, he was a community organizer and then he got elected as a councillor, a communist councillor, and he did these direct actions. So one of the famous action he was uh, famous for was he he took a march, a group of, uh, he led a march from the East End to the Ritz and occupied the Ritz to highlight the fact that they need to open up uh, the underground for air raid shelters uh, because they weren't opening up. So he said, yeah, we'll just go to the Ritz and we'll occupy it uh, and that forced the authorities to do that um, uh, so it, that's that's quite close to home in the sense that um, it he talks about the roads and the streets which which I currently live in and is some of the arguments he had as well are quite familiar as well so one of the arguments it was in I think it was in the 1930s were well, obviously uh, in his political grouping uh, they were talking about what what is our priority and Phil wanted to like organize against the National Union of Fascists who were distributing literature outside the Labour Exchange. And then the other guys were like, no, we, we, need, we want to concentrate on the Spanish Civil War. So he just, just left them and he basically um, organised communities against the National Union of Fascists. Um, and, you know, you've had the famous Cable Street where he was involved mm-hmm. in as well. But, but he also persuaded people to move away uh, from the National Union of Fascists. So when they were like, members of the uh, National Union of Fascists, they were being evicted. He organized them not to be evicted against the landlord and then persuaded them that there's a better alternative than to join a fascist organization. And, and he persuaded them to move away from that. So I'd really recommend that. It's called uh, Our Flag is Red by Phil Pratton, the, the last communist MP of the East End.
0: Fascinating character. And things like the Battle of Cable Street, as you both, you and I know, the Modern Cockney Festival was held a couple of months ago. Uh, hybrid, some stuff online, some stuff in person. And although there was not necessarily an overt theme based around organizing, it, 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 at any of the events it was a thread that ran through and bland resistance and and, and other, other things related to to that it ran through a lot of the discussions and that was really heartening to see
1: I, f- I think we always organized um this is the thing um and yeah. just historically i think what what happened was you, you had industrialization you had communities moving into new settings working in sort bef- before people worked from their home or you know lived and died about walking distance so to speak in the village and they they sort of like, knew each other and when you had industrialization you have you had to move into the city in a new environment you got oppressive landlords and then you're into these dark satanic mills the factories etc which were organized you know which were run like dictatorships and then people had to organize bit, uh, and they had to organize to get a better deal in terms of housing in terms of get better deal in terms of work etc. And I think what's happened is with deindustrialization, you don't have that workplace setting. You these large factories or like for example in South Wales you had the coal mines, etc. Where I grew up it was the brickyards. You don't have those large industrial settings where people have that commonality where they could have those discussions and organize. And and I think that's a trick as an organizer. Is to go okay we don't have these large factories where people had a shared uh so sort of like aim and common values and same setting where can we find those commonalities and and you, you could be either geography and that that's as a local counselor um and organizing is then uh, just using geography as a means of organizing people saying that this is a shared space unless we mobilize what we care about, the shared space, is going to disappear. And getting them to think in terms of geography rather than, say, before people were thinking about it in terms of workplace, and just getting them organised yeah. on that basis. So I think it's much harder now, but it's just finding those hooks, so to speak, of commonality.
0: And as we were talking about, you know, the the importance of offering alternatives, not just opposing, I was, I was again, desperately trying to find in one of my bookmarks a quote from from, from Raymond Williams. And what's interesting is I finally found it and you've kind of come back around to it really um in a 1985 essay so he died in uh, it was 88 i think so not long before he died um he wrote an essay called decentralism and the politics of place which uh, it touches on some of the themes that you just referred to there and he sort of so, and he refers to how um we can't make much um by way of alliances out of negatives the only real basis of alliances is agreement on positive Proposals for transcending the negatives and one of the key elements of that is the coalescing and the cohering contribution that place makes because people have attachment with place they identify with, with place not necessarily in identical ways but there might be some commonalities which is one of the things that we, we, we touched on at the start as well so yeah I don't think that essay is online if it is I think it's behind the paywall but um, maybe see if I can find it's, the
1: link It's interesting Raymond Williams picks up on it because the other uh, person who picked up on it is that. Uh, David Harvey, who's a social geographer um, in his book Rebel Seas where he talks about the urban proletariat um, um, and he talks about uh, people need to mobilise because um, these forces of capital or or speculative investment the way it works is it needs to move people off the land to maximise value and then it moves on to the next chunk of land and you see that In London or in the big cities you see that internationally as well Uh, say in Bombay or Rio de Janeiro or Barcelona even and unless people mobilize they'll be pushed out so he he picks up on that as well which is interesting
0: that's an incredible book and David Harvey would, would be up there with, with uh, Raymond Williams and, and Saul Alinsky by way of, Paulo Freire by way of, uh, yeah. Doreen Massey, uh, by way of uh, influences on on, on myself. Uh, and I can put Atlanta to that and in episode 30, which was already recorded a couple of years ago, I chatted with uh, Christian Noakes and he talked about dispossessing effect of gentrification and again touches on a, a lot of what you talk about. He's associate editor at Peace Land and Bread, a journal, a left a journal and again I'd recommend listening to that some of these issues.
1: I think it's really tough as well because we're dealing with issues of alienation and people are much more alienated as well they're much more atomised um, mm-hmm. because you know like homework, people are much more working at home now the consumptions is much more varied, you know like uh, social media um, so like pay per view, you know like streaming etc. Um, So there isn't those communal activities to bring people together. So how do we create this commonality in an age where people are sort of like living in silos and it is an issue, it is a problem that we have as organizers, which is much easier in a workplace setting because everyone's there say in a 12 hour shift or an eight hour shift, um, captive audience. But when it comes to community organizing, it's much, much more difficult um, and you have to go where people are so to speak so instead of expecting people you are sp- oh, we're going to have a meeting everyone interested in this uh, come you have to go to where people are and one of the good one of the places I found which was always a good place was the school gates The morning run mm-hmm. and the afternoon run is speaking to parents the captive audience and and you get really informed so it's kind of as a organizer we just have to be we have to root be much more peripatetic because of the way the because of the way the direction the society is going
0: yeah even accounting of how valuable you know whatsapp groups can be and 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 facebook groups and things like that can be that digital age that analog then uh, if you like um uh, approach to you know things like the school gates and things they, they do remain just as as, as valuable um it, for sure it,
1: it, it is because a lot of our communication is implied Um, and and that's what it is and so as an organiser just to understand what is happening is that physical contact is necessary and so even when I do workplace organising I have to go to the places I'm organising in theoretically I could organise them um, um, offline I have to go walk the wards have those conversations and just triangulate and say, okay, what is actually happening here? Because a lot of our communications is, is implied and, and I, I think, you know, digital tools are there, but they're not a substitute, you know, they, they, yeah, and they should never be a substitute because that human contact, that face-to-face contact is so essential. mm
0: mm-hmm. Um. I'm minded to, to sort of begin to wrap up so we can maybe make the most of this uh, this weather as well. Uh, if someone's listening to this and they're perhaps, I like to think there's plenty of miles still to go on uh, your clock and mine, but if there's somebody maybe a little bit younger listening to this, or maybe just a bit more novice and maybe they're uh, new at this sort of thing, maybe it was the experience of the pandemic that's prompted them to get involved in, in organising, um, what sort of advice or maybe even sort of practical tips would you have for them?
1: Um first of all um find find a topic that you're passionate about um if, if you're not passionate about something um you, you need to have those reserves of energy um so find something that you're passionate about that you care about um that you want to change um so so i i, I actually mentor um a whole uh, group of teenagers whose parents want them to get involved in uh, social activity. So that's that's the first thing I, I always tell them is go out there and find out what you care about or what your peers care about. And then the second thing is, see what, what change do you want? What is it that could be done better? And then let's sit down and see how we could affect those changes. Do that research. What decision maker or what institution actually controls or affects the thing I care about and what do I need to do to change it? Um, and, and just cut your teeth, uh, on a very small, um, local and micro issue first uh, to pick up those skills to sort of like, um, pick up those problems and work around those problems. Yeah. And, And then once, once you've done one campaign, then it's all like the same lessons could be done uh, could be applied to another one so 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 to so use an example uh, would be a road crossing and i know it sounds really mundane uh, but it is it, that that would be something to cut your teeth on first uh, or something like that like uh, a road getting getting a safety road crossing because then it's a small micro campaign it affects a set geographic area the decision makers a local authority and you get a win and a physical win that you could point to saying this is what we've done so my advice is uh start small but think big but start small and it's the same thing my accountant gave me when when i was starting out as a business So i I have a great experience in commercial real estate i started off big and he goes for a first business you've got to start small he's <laughs> <It's> like he's <it's laughs> pulling his hair out and he explained it because look if you make a mistake you could easily contain it and, and there is an end point to it um, and that would be my thing is uh, the the worst thing you could do is start a campaign and not finish it um, so my, my thing would be start something small so you could finish it and get that and to get that reflection and satisfaction um, so but do it on something that you care about. But in terms of principles, is it's all about relation building. Building relations and using existing relations you have and building new relations to get that change. And, you know, first of all, you have to be sincere about it. Um, it's really strange, but as human beings, I think we've got that intuition where we can pick up if if someone is sincere and so you've got to really believe in that issue and be sincere and and be altruistic as well um and not expect anything in return um uh, but for the common good um and the best way of building relationship is through altruism is through the giving of gifts and that's what community organizing is it's like we're, we're, we 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 want to benefit the greater good without expecting anything in return. And when people actually see that, that's how relationships strengthen. And even in traditional societies to build up relationship, they always give gifts. So as a community organizer, you're giving something, uh, without expecting anything in return. And the other principle is to be a good listener, come with an empty mind. Don't think you have all the solutions. Um, be, be a bit Paulo Freire, uh, just use that reference. Um, do not, do not, I think a lot of the time we go into a, a context thinking we have the solutions, not realise. Uh, so, whereas my advice is go, go with an empty mind. Go with a proposal, but don't be um, taken aback if people around you want something totally different because it actually, it's a better idea. The more, more people involved, the better ideas you get. But go with an open mind, listen, be an empty vessel. And the fin- final advice is um, forgiveness. That's that's the other, you've got to be very forgiving. You know, it's, as human beings, uh, You as a community organizer, you're dealing with human beings in different places, on different journeys. Um, and a lot of the time, things are not gonna go your way. Um, and instead of being uh, angry about it, it's much more powerful and empowering to forgive uh, and move on, uh, you know, uh, but not forget, but forgive. Um, and And we just have to accept that the world is a complicated place and human beings are complicated and we just have to maneuver around that to get the common good.
0: Sage advice, Peru. Sage advice indeed. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way of doing that?
1: Uh, the best, best way is um, I've got a Twitter Twitter account, um, at PuruMia, um, uh, and just drop me an email, uh, Peru, Puru, P-U-R-U, Puru.mia, M-I-A-H at gmail.com. I, and I do have a website, uh, www.puruMia.com, which I write about all the campaigns uh, that I do. Um, so even though I'm a trade union organiser and I stood down as a councillor in 2022. I, a lot of the campaigns are still ongoing, uh, so to speak. So I've taken on a lot of responsibility as an elected councillor. So when I stood down, I said, you know, one of the things I promised uh, the residents is I will, the campaigns that I started, I will uh, bring them to an end point. So I'm still involved uh, in these campaigns uh, and I write about it as, as so of like as a diary but also as a reference point for others who are interested. And huge regret
0: for your time it's been a fascinating discussion, uh, looking forward to uh, uh, you know k- keeping in touch and, and uh, watching from, from afar what you're up to um, in, in Tower Hamlets and in the East End and maybe with the RCN as well, obviously it has been high profile as, uh, uh, as, as you alluded to at the outset, um, and, you know, best of luck in, in, in all of those, thank you
1: Definitely and uh, thank you as well for having me on and Like I said, you know, I hope people do get uh, uh, inspired, uh, and you know, the, the reference will be in the description. And if anybody wants to get in touch, uh, you can. I'm always happy to have a NATA, as they say.
0: Thank you for listening to the Community Development Podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at comdevpodcast, C-O-W-M-D-E-V-T podcast. And to support the podcast and help it share learning, connect the workforce and raise the profile and the merits of community development approaches, why not become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the CD podcast.